and welcome to another episode of Love and Citizenship. Thank you for tuning in to another episode and I'm so very glad that you decided to press play on this one because I can tell you, as I'm recording this intro, I have just re-listened to this episode and boy have we managed to pack such a conversation. I am delighted that our guest today decided to hop on the podcast because in many ways this conversation is a redo of a conversation we had many years ago waiting for students at Terminal 2 of Dublin Airport. And the flights were kind of getting delayed and we just sat there and we'd just come out of relationships fairly recently and decided to just embrace our vulnerability, embrace the moment and decided to share and find support and find healing through our conversation that day. And so when I started sending out emails for the second season, Kenny was the first first person that I ever sent out an email to because I knew that if if he would be up for it, I would have loved the opportunity to recreate some of that magic that was there in that conversation. And I'm really glad. I'm really glad that he did. And the, the funny thing about this entire conversation is we had so much more that we wanted to talk about. As soon as we stopped recording, both of us just exclaimed how <laughs> we wish we could have gotten through the other things that he really wanted to talk about. So Kenny, if you're listening to this, which I hope you are, you've got to come back, mate. We, we have so much to talk about. There's, there's a whole half of a conversation that I really wish we could have gotten to do. But it's, it's just been an inc- incredible and exceptional opportunity to share our stories, but also be allowed into Kenny's world as we talk about his journey of growing up and his understanding of love, what that was like and how that's changed over the years. It is truly, truly a conversation that I feel really grateful to have been a part of. But if you like what we do, please do consider joining us on Patreon. You can get early access to the episodes. Or share this with your circles, get people to listen into these conversations if you find them meaningful, helpful, if they stay with you. And um, yeah, I think that's going to be my spiel for this episode. Without further wait, and to absolutely minimize the risk of me just mumbling on here, my guest for this week, the wonderful Kenny Olani. Hi everyone, um, thank you for having me on firstly, Pran. I um, really appreciate being asked and like, so really appreciate having the conversation. So yeah, my name is Kenny, 25. I was in college with Pran. We worked together briefly in the global room. At the moment, I am working as a programs coordinator and I'm living in, up in Belfast at the moment, even though we met down in Dublin and I've lived in Dublin pretty much all my life. Yeah, I can imagine it's a, a bit of a shift. Um, yeah, it is. It was. It's a. It's a unique city. I would put that place. Put it like that. You know. Um, but it's been. It's. It's not been too bad. Like it's still sort of relatively close to home and really close to Dublin. So it's. It's okay to sort of for commuting and stuff like that. And I've and like my girlfriend lives up here and my best mate lives up here as well. So the transition hasn't been too bad. But like it's still very. It is a different city. It's a, diff- a different beast. I think it's interesting when we talk about home and leaving, because mm-hmm. I think the, the reason this conversation is happening and one of the bigger reasons why I want to have this conversation is we started a conversation at an airport once upon a time. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, and, and I know I've said this to you when we did the chat call before this. I know I said this to you in the email, but it's... There's particular moments in your life that stay with you and just like the most mundane day when you think about it. So for background for anybody listening, Kenny and I used to work in the global room, which was like the student 
body part of the International Students Office in Trinity College Dublin and we were global room ambassadors and one of the big things that ambassadors used to do is at the start of every term go pick up students at the airport and these were international students coming in and uh, we were part of the meet and greet service we were there I think somebody was meant to show up or they never did or their flight was delayed and then the space between picking the other people was long enough that you you know had a bit of time but not nearly long enough that you could leave and come back and we're just sitting there and we're talking about just things and then somehow the conversation led to relationships and exploring intimacy in relationships and how men process breakups and I've never had that conversation with anybody or hadn't had that up until that point and I know it's it's ridiculous that you know you have as men you tend to think about like hey that was that one big conversation but I think it was so incredible and it sparked something in me so in a way I think this podcast exists as a way of me kind of having these conversations that I wish other men like me and just me as a young kid could have access to. And so I think this is a love letter, a pocket dimension of conversations. And I couldn't yeah. think of a better person to have this conversation with. Appreciate that. Yeah, I remember, I do remember, I remember that conversation. Like um, we were upstairs, we were like sitting down and we just had, yeah, it was one of the few times when I've had like a chat with another man, especially yeah. with anybody really about sort of breakups and sort of the effect it has on you. And like, I was after my one, probably my, like my big, my, my big breakup a couple of months after it. So I was, I'd get, had some time to maybe process a little. I've had more time anyway, obviously now, but yeah, and now it'd be good to sort of explore it a little bit. I think it, it'd be helpful to kind of go through your life history in a nutshell, I suppose. Obviously we yeah. could have like an entire like episode just focused on that, but just, so growing up in Dublin, um, growing up in Dublin as a black man, what was it like for you, your childhood? Just take it away. Yeah. So I suppose if we start way back, I was born in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. I moved to Dublin. Well, my family moved to Dublin when I was about four years old. We lived in Carlo originally for about two years. And then I moved to Dublin. I was living in Blanchardstown. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was my, me, it was myself, my mom and my two sisters. So we just ever been us really. Mm-hmm. And like I did all my sort of my primary school in Blanche. And then I moved to Balbriggan in secondary school, midway through secondary school in the third year. And again, and that was, I suppose it was a bit older, a lot more sort of, that's when I started to like figure, sort of figure out the world a little bit and figure out what was going on with different things. Um, looking back in child, I would say like I, in primary school and like my childhood was like overall a really good childhood. I sort of, I enjoyed it. I like, I've only, I really have good memories. Mm-hmm. There are certain sort of certain memories that are like are quite maybe not like not not as positive, I suppose, in certain like you you experience certain things as a black person that you don't really realize at the time when you're younger. It's not until sort of you're a lot older that you sort of look back and like, oh, OK, maybe that's why I was treated a bit differently there. Maybe that's why this person really didn't like me there. Mm-hmm. But then when you got into when I got into when I got to Babuigan, Babuigan is a quite a. Uh, Again, another unique place where it's quite multicultural. To be honest, Blanchardstown was as well. But like, because I was moving, I, I was moving, I came, it was it's quite a multicultural sort of town in town because a lot of sort of um, people who would have immigrated, who would have stayed in Mosny, which is the direct provision sort of camp, would have either moved to Barbrigan when they got their stay or moved to Drada. So Barbrigan had a really influx of a lot of kids my age, their families, my, my sister's age and stuff. 
So it was quite a, I think for me, it was the best place to move. Like looking at how my life has turned out is the best move for me and my family for sure. And um, even though at the time I hated it, I couldn't not shunt. I no, it was the worst thing ever to happen as a kid. You go, oh no, why are you taking me for my friends and all this kind of stuff? And you realize that like, yeah, you just, there's nothing you can say. You just have to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. But then when I moved to Babrigan, it was, that was when I sort of started to see started so in third year when you're about 15 16 that's when you start to sort of see what your personality is like and who you are and where you're like what you want to do and where you want to go like I knew I always wanted to go to college like as a sort of as an immigrant especially as an African coming into the country your parents are always just like education first make sure to get a degree get a good job that was the plan one thing I was lucky in my mom never sort of put any expectation on me to do a certain thing or go a certain like route career-wise she always just said just get an education get a good job so for me that was something that really sort of in hindsight put took a lot of pressure off even though there was obviously still a lot of pressure as being like the oldest son and having to sort of having the like the pressure of like making sure making your making sure your family sort of sort of represented well yeah within sort of society even though it's when you think about it it's never that it's never that deep Mm. but like it's still it's still it is something important and quite important to Africans Mm. but yeah but like when I got into when I got to Babrigan it was when I really all my friends now are guys that I've grown up with in Babrigan and like they're going to school with people who were looked like me and sort of like sort of accepted me in and really sort of I think shaped the rest of my has shaped the rest of my life because yeah. I'm still very much grown up in the Irish system and in the Irish system you're you understand the Irish language you understand the Irish people there's certain things that you can't sort of people won't get and won't understand about you because it's just, it's just how it is but like growing up but having sort of black people or Nigerians specifically who sort of understood you and sort of or the same age as you going through the same kind of things yeah. that really meshed well with sort of my life and my sort of transition into college and now into sort of full-time adulting yeah that's a huge that was a huge spiel sorry <laughs> no you're the, the point is for you to talk i think no i'm really glad you had that experience because i can imagine it could be so isolating if you didn't have peers who were going through the same things for sure yeah I, and I, that's one thing I think I didn't realize at the, you don't realize until now, until now, when you realize, when you look back and you're like, yeah, we were all, we all lived the same sort of life. You know, there's that, there's that saying, but literally we've all lived the same life. Like, I, my mom used to do that. My, my parents used to do that. We used to have to do that. All these kind of, all these like little nuances that like, that like link you as sort of both black mm-hmm. and then it links you as like Nigerian and then it links you as African and then it links you as like being Irish and it lives, links you as being from like Europe yeah. or links you as like enjoying this kind of music and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, I, fi- I find it so fascinating. There's so many links in like, not just sort of race, but like culture and like, and diversity. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool thing. I think race is definitely a part of our identity, but you're dead on. Culture plays such a strong part. And I'm curious. Sure, I have my own journey of like still trying to figure out my own identity, but I have had the mm. journey of, you know, I am as Daisy as they come. But when I left home mm. 
and you're, you're dead on, I think 14, 15 is about the time when you start getting some semblance of your place in the world. The first like hints and whispers. And for me, it was just like, I never felt at home in India. And then I've moved to all these different places and I've taken a lot of my culture and brought into myself a lot of these cultures that I've been part of. So I understand, I understand there's a cultural element to it. It's very much so. What is, and you don't have to have an answer of like, this is my identity because it's forever changing. What, what, what does it feel like for you? Because, you know, you've, you've had this experience. What has that been like? That's a really good question. And it's, so it's a question that's sort of come up quite a bit because there's been a lot of conversation, especially like last year following sort of the death of George Floyd and the whole sort of like the conversation around race and discrimination and stuff like that. And like, there's been a lot of conversation about like being black and Irish and like what that entails. And for me personally, I've, I, I think actually I was on a, I was, um, I was on a pod the other day and I described it as I would say I'm Nigerian first. No, I'm, I say I'm probably black first, mm-hmm. then I'm Nigerian and then I'm Irish mm-hmm. or some, that's, I think that's how I see it. Yeah. And like, I would always, if someone asked me, well, yeah, I'm, I would say I'm black and Irish or Nigerian Irish, yeah. so depending on how I feel on that day it's how I'll sort of answer the questions, you know? Yeah. And like the reason why is because I've grown up staunchly Nigerian, staunchly Yoruba. Mm-hmm. All I understand, I understand in as much as I can, as much as my mom has influenced me, my family, my friends, what it is to be Nigerian and what it is to sort of understand Yoruba language, eat, you know, eat Yoruba food, eat Nigerian food, sort of, understand why certain we behave a certain way why there's certain sort of cultural differences between being Igbo maybe and being um, Nigerian or and being Yoruba sorry or being Nigerian and being another African from another African country yeah so I've been staunchly Yoruba I, I I've always felt like that but I've also grown up in the Irish system and had the Irish education And I will never understand the Irish experience, not fully, but I feel like I'm part of Irish life and Irish society. And I feel like I understand Irish people and I understand the Irish humor and I understand Irish food, the Irish language. I even understand I did higher level up until like I loved Irish in school. Actually, I I was probably one of the few foreign people in the school that liked the Irish. So like, and like, I've felt like I've, been creating Irish history. I want to, I do want to sort of look at this, the things I've done with my, my in college, with my friends, with other um, activities outside of college. I've like felt like I've been contributing to Irish life, you know, mm-hmm. but I also do know that I am black before probably anything else to a lot of people. Yeah. And that blackness sort of links me with, pretty much everybody else that's black in the world, even though we are very different. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a unique one. I've, I have always liked the duality of being sort of Nigerian and Irish and black and Irish, because I think they're a lot more similar than, than they like to think. But yeah, I think I've, I've, I've learned to sort of accept what I am and what I, what I feel right now. Mm -hmm. I do take note that there might be 
I might, that might change and there might be iterations to that. And I might not always feel this way because it might really just depend on sort of how sort of where I end up living permanently, who I sort of end up marrying and stuff like that. And I think maybe your identity just changes throughout your life, really. Yeah. I don't know if that explains it, but it's a mirage of stuff that sort of encompasses everything I do and everything that I've been and everything I've, like my whole history, where I'm going and yeah. where I'm to go, you know, so. In the best possible way, even somebody, I don't know, who has had 10 generations in Ireland. Mm. I think if I were to ask them that same question of like, you know, what's your identity for you? I think it would still be a complex answer. And I'm so glad it is one because this sounds poetic, but it also, it's my hope for, you know, the kids that come after us and the generations that do. You're very much the new, you are Ireland. You're not just a part of mm. Ireland. You are Ireland. Ireland is no longer, you know, Ireland is now this melting pot of all these different cultures and people just bringing in their life and adding to it. And I think there's beauty in that. Of course. It's something my, my friend Aisha was on the last season and we talked about, you know, she is born in Pakistan, moved to Switzerland. I am born in India. I've moved Canada, Ireland, and now the UK. But we've both had very different experiences just as brown people. Yeah, I get you. But I know as a black man, your experiences of being identified are very different than what I will ever experience. And to any degree that you feel comfortable, what has your experience of now living as an adult in Ireland? Because I know you hinted, I know you said there were things in school that you now look at and go, you know what, leaves a sour taste. What, yeah. what was it like? What has it been like? Um, I think it's, it's an interesting one because I think a lot of some of the sort of experiences you have, a lot of them aren't really sort of overt. I've, I suppose I've been lucky where I've not had like many serious encounters of racism, but there has been a lot of sort of mini ones. And then there has been some quite significant ones where I'm like, that was totally out of order, totally wrong. I remember in school one time, like, and it wasn't until like recently that I sort of realized that it was, it was because we were, it was like, I have no other reason to do it down, but the fact of my color, um, there was this kid that used to just didn't like me, did not like me. And I didn't understand why he didn't like me. And it wasn't a case of like, and I was a quiet kid. I'm not doing anything to you. I'm not saying any, I'm, if anything, I'm not saying anything. And like, he just used to pick on me. And like, I used to just, I, I put it down as like bullying at the time, which unfortunately happens and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But then um, there's one incident where him and his mom drove in the car. Me and my sister were walking home. And um, at the time we were about 11, 10, 11 maybe. And then she would have been like three years younger than me. Mm -hmm. And we were walking home, just my normal business walking home. And she drove right behind, right at the side and starts roaring outside, out the window. Yeah. And like, for no reason, because like I don't do, I didn't do anything to this kid. Never, never touched him. Never did nothing. Like I was, I was always the biggest guy in in the class. So if I wanted to be, I could have been the bully. Like when I'm looking back, if I wanted to be, I could have been. Like then a couple of years later, I was. We were in school. We went to we went to different schools when we went to secondary school. I was walking down the road and I saw him, and he couldn't look at me. He literally face down, walked right past me. And then like, at the time, I was just like, yeah, like you just push it off. But then when you think about it and you, you look back and you think there is no reason to 
or like that's the only thing I can put it down to. My, it's my race. Like, and that's I think that's what sometimes a lot of experiences is like is like there's no reason for you to hate me or not like me yeah. apart from my race. Yeah. Like, and like even though there could be because I know there are times when people just don't like you, and that's mm-hmm. fair enough. Even that's a bit weird, but fair enough. But like you have you all because you're black, you always you, the only instinct you can sort of put it down is race yeah. and i know a lot of people say don't play the race card and stuff but it's hard not to really hard not to when what am i like where am i going to put these down to and then there's obviously there's also there's other things when you're sort of in work or sort of work just working in just in daily life where people just say some things and like be a certain way and like a friend of mine actually he um, he came over from Manchester a couple of weeks back and we were chatting. He's Indian as well, actually. Mm-hmm. And he came, asked me specifically, he was like, do you think there's ever been, like, has your race ever stopped you in life or in certain scenarios and stuff like that? And I've been like, I'm, I would say I'm very privileged and I'm very lucky to have a job. And I'm very lucky to have educated. So in the grand, in when you think about it, like, no, not really. Mm-hmm. But like, not, but not really. But like, even even though it's not really, there are a lot of experiences and a lot of things I can't do, I wouldn't wasn't able to do. I probably will never be able to do because of my race. I might not be able to pinpoint them right now. Yeah. I might not be able to sort of like elaborate them or explain it to you in a way that's sort of satisfactory to you. Yeah. But I know and I feel it, and that's and that's the thing that's really hard to sort of explain to people sometimes. You know, yeah, like it's been. The last like year and a half has been fairly difficult, sort of having to have conversations and explain to people and sort of legitimize my experiences to people. It's been good because people are finally listening, mm-hmm. but it probably shouldn't take in the mur- some someone's murder and everybody being stuck at home, seeing it and nothing, like nothing else happening for people to just finally realize, oh, there is actually a big problem and some, something that we need to deal with. Yeah. So yeah, it's. It's a lot of it is mainly it's, it's more covert than overt. And that's mm-hmm. something, especially in Ireland, with like policies and different sort of like, you know, the way like it's like the, the deck is stacked against you, yep. but you don't know how it's stacked against you because you don't have the deck. So it's like you can you're it's like, you're, you know, it's stacked against you. I'm not going mad. I know it is. Yeah. But I can't prove it to you because you're the one who can prove it to me. And you're the one who needs to tell me that's stacked against me. Yeah. Oh, that that's probably the best way I've ever seen it put. There's there's just that feeling of like something's amiss, something doesn't feel right. Yeah. But I find conversations around race very interesting to have. They're very tough ones to have for me as well. Mm. Because I am still very I don't want to say new, but I'm still very like fresh in terms of just like realizing the own ways that I now I've realized that, you know, I was profiled or, you know, this person treated me this way. Yeah. One of the earliest experiences of me, and this is actually the day I think I, something clicked in my 16 year old brain that racism exists. And when I start this story, it sounds like a joke. So my friend Abe, who's Mexican, my friend Dylan, who was black and Canadian, and our friend Mark, who is Russian, so an Indian, a black guy, and a Mexican walk into a depanair with a Russian guy, right? It's the start of a joke. Okay, <laughs> I see. <laughs> so, so I was an exchange student in this school, 
and yeah. you know we we were walking down there used to be this used to be a small town and it's just a town in one straight road like anything you would ever need is on that road and so we're walking down from the college and we were i think we were going either to the department store or the subway the detail doesn't matter there but anyway we're walking mm. down and suddenly we hear a police siren and we're really at the far end of the place and uh, the, the police siren goes and you know we're paused and pulled to the side and your man's like where are you guys going and i always panic because you know i am on a six week or sorry six month visa i could be deported so that's a prime concern in my head and we're like yeah we're going to the subway he's like where are you from and like stansted college like can i see some ids and we show him the ids and he didn't check my id he was like no not you he didn't check abe's id he didn't check mark's id he did check dylan's id because he was the only black man in the group and mark goes you know sorry officer what's the issue is like we've been, some some somebody reported a nuisance somebody said that you know things in their front yard were rattled whole lot of bullshit you yeah. know and we're like we're genuinely students and he was like if i call the school will they confirm the four of you and we were like yeah and then he his his other colleague was like uh, let him go and get in the car leave and that was the first day of my life that i was like there is something inherently wrong with the way the world is right now where like yeah. four people can be stopped in the middle of the street just because there's a black man amongst them and the other two look a bit different and it's just again it's that feeling of there's something wrong with the system but the only people who can prove that there's something wrong have no maybe some don't even have the awareness to but they then there's never an enough an incentive that's exactly it and that's i think that's the thing that you sort of fight every day there's like there's a group of people who know exactly what's going on and know exactly probably what to do but mm-hmm. have too much to lose to make changes yeah and then there's a group of people who haven't a clue yeah. just they and it's fair enough media education sort of literally the way everything's set up doesn't sort of allow you to have a clue sometimes yeah but then there's some people who like yeah who do have a clue but still sort of refuse to do anything about it so like I just, yeah, yeah it's one of those things where we could have a full on discussion about it and like I would, I would love to it's yeah i i for me at the moment i'm i'm just happy that there is a lot of sort of good work being done yeah to sort of highlight and challenge discrimination of all sorts mm-hmm. um, and i just hope long may it continue really oh yeah i it has to and i know like they for me anyway the reason i do this the reason i do anything in life now is to leave a better world for those that come after me whether that be yeah. my kids or somebody else it has to be a better place to grow up and i think you know i've i've seen you be on different podcasts uh fun fact please go to kenny's profile and check out the latest pictures from his uh <laughs> the ceremony he attended for black and irish man you look dapper in that suit um, <laughs> so i would much. <laughs> i would i would recommend uh dismantling racism one killer suit after uh, after <laughs> <laughs> i'll t- i'll take it as long as someone else is paying for this those things are expensive <laughs> yeah um, i can imagine <laughs> but like for me just seeing that I could have never imagined that would have been a thing in Ireland 20 years back. Yeah, exactly. It's like exactly that's what I'm that's why I was mentioning about sort of 
part of being part of like sort of Irish history and black history. And like, it sounds like a lot of times when I hear myself say, or hear people say, it sounds so cringe and it sounds so, oh, what are you doing? But it is true. And like, it really is sort of, when, pe- when people are making these like big rousing speeches and you're like, why, why are you doing this? But then you realize that when you, when you do something, when you're part of something like that, you realize, yeah, this is, there is sort of a reason and behind it. And there's like, it's a, it'll last and it'll make like the people that got the awards, they, they were so happy to get it and they were so happy to be sort of recognized and things like that. And that's, that's the, that's the sort of impact that you're trying to leave, as you said. One, one dapper suit at a time though. <laughs> one dapper suit at a time. <laughs> um, this is now the interesting point to kind of segue into the more rom- romantic uh, lives of Kenny and Pran. Mostly Kenny. Yes, of uh, course. <laughs> my romantic life has been laid bare in the last season. Um, <laughs> so we, we've talked about identities. We've talked about, you know, being a amalgamation and product of all these different cultures. Mm. What has dating been like? Yeah. Um, good. Yeah. Good question. I suppose dating has been interesting. Like, I, f- I feel like a lot of people think, firstly, a lot of people think I'm a, this big ladies man. Um, when I'm really not, I'm really just a shy kid, just trying to find my way. Like people really don't believe me when I say that. But no, as a kid, like growing up, when I was a bit younger, I, I would have been quite shy and stuff like that. So it wouldn't have been something that would. I did have my first girlfriend when I was that when I was like in first year of school. Oh, damn. so and that so that sort of gives that sort of just annihilates everything I've just said. Yeah. But again, it was I was freestyling this. I didn't understand or know what was going on mm-hmm. so it was like it was a case of i think her, i was in i was in the same class as this girl and she her friend was in a year older than me and she fancied me and i was like oh okay she fancied me okay cool and then she then we started growing and we went out for like a month or so then like she broke up with me and eventually and i was like oh shit and that was like that was my first like mini heartbreak you know it was yeah brief thing and then it wasn't until I was like maybe obviously you'd be speaking to girls and stuff like that but I wouldn't have been the most like sort of forward guy I'd be more of a again like like quite chilled and quite child and shy and try like in myself like I remember I fancied this girl for years and never told her and then like I still until this day she thought she just said no but like it, and like I had I moved school I was or, like she was from my old school and it was that kind of thing whereas like I was never confident enough to sort of go for it or like say oh i like you or all this kind of stuff and it's just now nah, it like really really scared me mm-hmm. and it wasn't until i got in again moved to Barbican and like got into fourth year or f- fifth year and like i came out of my shell a little bit yeah. i sort of because i had and it links back to this that thing i was talking about like race and stuff because i had like my boys around me and like again i i'm still still to this day probably the most shy of the boys mm-hmm. but like it, they really allowed me to become out there and sort of they were speaking to girls so i was around more girls and like it just you just sort of rub off people and you sort of again find yourself i suppose yeah. and then i had my like a, my first long-term relationship well again i say long-term but like i was there for like seven months i think given to school and that was a really that was the first time i sort of not, not that I loved her, but it was the first time that I was in a relationship that I was like 
okay, you, you see each other every day, yeah. you do things together, you hang out, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you had a bit more, and you had, had a bit more freedom as well. So it was more, it wasn't like I was, oh, I have to, I have to be home by this time. I like, that was, that was grand. And that was in school. And again, um, I think I ended up breaking up, uh, breaking up with her in that time. And I got to college and obviously like I was, you'd see the odd person and things like that. And like, you never really, like when you're younger, you don't really know what dating is and you don't really consider stuff dating. Mm -hmm. But then when I got to college, um, I, again, I had an, I had a long-term, I don't know what you call long-term. I had a relationship for like, whatever a year. feels long-term I'd say. Is- yeah, exactly. Like I had another relationship for a year. And again, that was a, that was, that was grand. That was a good one. It was sort of, yeah. And then, all throughout college, I was like seeing people on and off and things like that, and just dating, and nothing really, any nothing serious or anything like that. Until sort of the relationship that like we spoke about, where um, I was with her. That I would say that was my first probably serious relationship where I was fully invested, fully there mentally and like sort of emotionally for for someone. You were present in it. Exactly, you know, and you you felt the whole you felt the whole range of emotions, mm-hmm. and that would be the first time for me that I would say probably I was in love, mm-hmm. like hundred percent first time I was in love, and I, like it was a really especially to start was a really whirlwind relationship because she lived in another country, so it was the whole like you're traveling to see her, all this kind of stuff. So it was a, it was like it just felt perfect at the time, and it felt like oh this great thing, and um, we were together for about two and a half years so it was quite quite a long time and like throughout the, the whole time we were um, like again commuting between countries and stuff mm-hmm. like that and like I was in college at the time doing so much stuff mm-hmm. she was working so it was just like go 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 fully yeah. like that was as I said my very first like relationship where I think like for me it was at the time, it was like, yeah, this is someone I can see myself committing to long term. Yeah. And I, I got to see, granted, I was about 21 at the time, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I was still quite young, still maybe quite naive. But yeah, you live and you learn, isn't it? Like, yeah. And then that that didn't end well, obviously. obviously. Yeah. Um, that quite that hit me quite hard. That was there was that was because I just didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I probably should have, probably shouldn't have sort of invested so deeply mm-hmm. um, because it was it was made quite clear that it wouldn't be long term. But because we were both really into each other, like really into each other, we mm-hmm. sort of just forgot about it and just said, just let's enjoy our time. Yeah. And then I think for her, it started to start dawning that, OK, this isn't going to be long term. This we, this isn't going to work long term. And like. For me, I, at the time, I was very, very angry. And I thought it was a bit of a cop-out. It was a bit like, if you wanted something to work, you'd make it work, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So I was felt like, but then on the other hand, I knew, on the other hand, I knew someone like really loved me and I loved them. So it, just, it was just a whole, this whole confusion in my head and this whole thing of like, what, where, how do I sort of figure this out? Yeah. And then, like, yeah, after that relationship, I sort of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was in my fuckboy mode, but I was just, especially once I sort of, around the time when we had that conversation, actually, that was in August time. And I think that's when I started to, and we, we, I'd broken up with my ex 
in April, mm-hmm. seed broken up in me in April. So I, that was the time when I started to sort of, okay, maybe heal a little bit and sort of start dating more and like, so sort of just getting out there and stuff like that. And like, to me, it was just more about just sort of maybe seeing different people. I'd been in a relationship for so long. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let me experience single life and go from there and, and see where it happens and see what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was good again it, like it was grand like i didn't i i've i think i was always i try to be as clear as possible to everybody to be like okay look i'm not looking for anything and stuff like that then six seven months down the line i ended up in another relationship which i'm in now which sounds like i i say that and as if it's like something that i don't want to be in but like for me it's it's been the best thing now for me so it's yeah yeah it's been that's i suppose that's my journey in dating and love and yeah romance so much to unpack there so many little things coming up for me as well what Mm. was love for you when you were growing up so i know the model of love you thought was like this is how i know i'm in love like say that first significant relationship what was your idea of love um i'm i'm not i'm not sure really and truly i don't know what my idea of love was Mm -hmm. i sort of just stumbled upon it obviously growing up you have like it's like your fam, like family love and like yeah. your your mom yeah like i knew the love my mom had for me and my sisters and like sort of the care and like how much she sort of hold the steer mm-hmm. so i knew that and i felt that and i understood that and i also knew sort of what it's like to sort of grow up in a single home single parent household so I knew sort of as, as a child, the impact that has on a child, I suppose, mm. even though maybe I didn't know it at the time, but like growing up, you sort of realize it. Yeah. And so I knew that like me personally, anybody I see or meet, I would want to treat them as I would sort of treat my sisters or my mom mm-hmm. or how I would want them to be treated, you know? Yeah. And like, again, it, it sounds cliche, but that's the way I, I, I find that I've always tried to, even if I don't love someone or even if I'm, I'm just seeing them or dating them, I've always tried to maybe show interest, mm-hmm. be sort of kind, be friendly. And I think yeah. on a level that's sort of, that's showing love to someone. And, yeah. but like, if I say how I've like felt love with sort of my ex and how I feel love now, it's just that place of safety where you can, like, I realized, for example, my, my current girlfriend, I realized that I loved her when it was just, it just felt right. Yeah. And it just felt like there was a thing of, like, I was in her presence and I felt safe and calm. Mm-hmm. And I felt like nothing else had mattered and I was in a bubble. And there's many a times when you can be sort of in someone's space and you can feel at ease, you can feel very comfortable with them, but there's an extra level of like, there's something extra where it goes beyond just feeling like, oh, this person is a cool person. I can hang with them. I can chill with them. It's like, a, there's like a safety blanket there. Yeah. And that's what I see as love. And that's safety blanket. That's someone that like, you just know your your heart just feels like at ease when you're with them. I, I don't like, I feel like people can relate to it, yeah. but it's one of those things that you can't, it's so hard to sort of describe because it's yeah. such 
it's an emotion. You can't, dis- I, I really can't describe love. It's not a thing. It's a feeling. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you, it's, you can't put words on it. The, the, the closest words I can put on it is safety and comfortability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, those are the two <laughs> words I could, I, could, I could sort of try. Yeah. And, the the reason I asked this question, I've asked this question to everyone I've done this podcast with. And every time the answer is like, oh, my God, I don't know. I feel a certain way, but I don't know what it is. And I think that's the answer. When, when you're talking about your mom and when you were talking about, you know, just knowing that your family loves you. Um, and when you're talking about how this relationship, the one that you're in now came about, I think that's the best way to be. Because you can't force love into submission. You can't make people fall in love with you. Yeah. I'm sure at certain points in our life, you know, romanticize the idea of like, you know, if you love somebody, you know, you chase them for long enough, it's going to work out. Like music showed us, Bollywood continuously fucked me up with that narrative. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's all this different cultural fusion that comes in. Yeah. But I think love's a feeling. Love's, and for you, love is feeling safe, a capacity, a space where you can feel intimate and hold that space and be held in. And that's beautiful. And I'm glad you have that. Yeah. I think... One thing is that I've sort of realized is that I know there's this, like one thing I want to mention, there's this whole thing of sort of the love of your life and sort of you, you'll know when you'll know, which I think part of love is you'll know, you will know when you know, mm-hmm. and you will know when you want to sort of commit to someone and be with someone, you just have the feeling. Yeah. But I think like one thing I, like I was thinking about it, like I, you can have multiple sort of loves in your life yeah. because I like, I've started to realize that you can have multiple lives. Yeah. Like my life in college is very different to my life right now. Yeah. And even though my, my previous relationship, I felt as the love, like I was thinking the love of my life, like it's, quite possible she was the love of my life of that life of that space that I was in of that being part of Trinity College doing Afrosoc flying all over like not even all of flying to England multiple times that was my life and that and she like that she was the love of that life Mm -hmm. now my life is quite different and I'm in a very different space and my current girlfriend is the love of my life right now and I think it's okay to sort of un- understand that you, again, I just wait like the way your identity iterates, your life iterates, and you have multiple different sort of stages in your life, multiple different lives. So you might have multiple different loves. Yeah. And I think that's something that people need to sort of realize as well and need to understand. And it, it so it, it's really hard to, again, ex- like for people to get their heads around it. Mm-hmm. But I think if you do, it makes love a lot easier yeah. and it makes love not something to be sort of scared of, but something to maybe embrace because mm-hmm. the same way you embrace moving to a new country or moving school or moving college or moving to the same way you can embrace sort of loving someone differently or loving or loving another person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, I think like, that was my two cents on love of your life i just wanted to mention that <laughs> i couldn't have brought this you know the it, it ran circled in, in a better way honestly it i hope you write poetry on the side kenny that's all i'm <laughs> gonna ever ask <laughs> is that was beautiful and it, it the thing it sparked in me is i think the, our depth to love the depth in the way we love 
comes from the diversity of our experiences in love. Yes. And as people as well. The person you were in your relationship when we met wasn't going to be, you know, able to meet your current partner where they have to. And I think each experience teaches you a lot about yourself, a lot about love. I know you talked about how like that breakup completely yeah. left you broken. I want to start with, and then we'll get to the, you know, the sunshine at the other end, but like, yeah, let's get down into the darkness of it. What, what did it feel like? It was probably some of the worst I felt really and truly. It was just, it was just it, two things. It was, it would hurt, it hurt because obviously I loved her and I really I wanted to be with her. And then I also felt so confused and angry, yeah. especially at the start, because I felt like it was just a cop-out reason. Mm-hmm. So we were different religions and she just felt it wasn't going to work. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I, I sort of learned, learned to sort of accept that, you move on. But like at the time, I just felt it was such a, such a stupid and silly reason. I was like, so what? Like there's, and like literally you can see me Googling, how could you people of different religions stay to work, work in the marriages and all this kind of stuff. And I was, and I was, and I was using that as like justification be like, yes, this is why I should be angry. Cause she was just copying out and she was just being stupid. Maybe she was like, like just lying to me the whole time because she clearly knew about this. And then I deep down, I was like, but I did, I knew about this as well, but I didn't think about it. She probably just thought about it earlier. So in that regard, I was just so angry. And I just felt it was so selfish and like, just so weak to like, like I was like, oh, yeah, I'm willing to work at it. I'm willing to do this, willing to do that, mm-hmm. all these kind of things. But like, yeah, it was it really and truly the worst feeling that like yeah. you like, for days, I just was like, what is going on? Yeah. Like, it it was that whole summer, like, eventually, like, towards the end of the summer, middle of the summer, I sort of started to sort of just put it behind me, behind me and, like, just do live life and stuff like that. But in my head, I was still sort of processing it. Still very much, very, just very angry. Just really, really angry. Yeah. Because I just, I as I said, I just thought it was just such why would you break up something that was so good going so well we were like i was considering like moving over i was all my my, my whole life was built around the, this person and like everything i did was built around okay when i'm gonna see you mm-hmm. how are we gonna see each other what are we doing next yeah and, and i was so when that all just came crashing down in overnight it's just yeah. like what like what am I supposed to do now? Like, even though in my life I was coming into about 22, like I was 21, 22, coming into a good prime age to go to live my life. Yeah. And like, there was times over the summer where she'd reach out and like, we'd, we'd be in touch. And like, there was one time when I was actually away, mm-hmm. she saw me away with the boys and stuff like that. And she, I think she got jealous and she called me and she was like saying like, oh, she's thinking about getting back together and all this kind of and I was straight on it. I was like, yes, let's let's have a conversation about it. Like, I was like hoping. And then a week later, the realization dawned and I, it was just me trying to chase something that... Wasn't there. Yeah, wasn't there. And I needed to accept it. I needed to accept. And it took me a while. It took me a long while. And there would have been a few people I would have conversations with, even like some people I saw, like was dating that would have sort of realized that I was probably still 
pining or still in a bit of like pain and not really fully accepting it. Yeah. And it, I wouldn't have, wasn't until I sort of got into my new relationship that like I finally, not that I finally accepted it because I knew I was sort of, in one way I was at peace, but mm. then there was still like, I was still thinking like, yeah, but it could have worked out. Yeah. And it's, it just takes time. I think it takes time and a lot of reflection mm. and a lot of growing and a lot of you sort of, not exactly you're dating people, but you're meeting people and having conversations with people yeah. and realizing where your life can go and where your life is going. And then you come back to the situation and you're like, yeah, probably was never going to work. Yeah. It's the worst thing wanting something so badly but not being able to have it and having a sort of picture image in your head of sort of, yeah, completely just ending and stopping. And yeah, it's, 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 it's a weird one. It's, 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 it's hard to capture. It's the little things you miss. It's the, I don't know. It's the texting them. Yeah. Um, I suppose how was then the journey of coming out of it? I know you mentioned how like it took you some time, what was the journey after? Like, what was the way of pulling yourself out? For me, it was just getting involved in everything and anything and just trying to go about my life. And like, like my mom would always just be like, look, there's no point in crying over like spilled milk, like something to that effect. You, ha you have a life, you're healthy, you're well. And I know it's not like that, that doesn't take away from sort of the grieving process you have to do. Yeah. But I think it's part of the grieving process to sort of try and just get involved and try and like, and I was lucky where I had a really good friendship group around me. The boys were superb. They always checked in on me, always made sure I was okay. I think because they saw how much both of us committed to that relationship and how much sort of we, there was, how much love there was there. So they knew that, okay, if this is ending, this is going to be a, this could be a bad ending. Yeah. So like, I was very lucky in that regard where I sort of stayed busy, mm -hmm. had really good people around me to sort of making sure I never got into a really low state and really sort of bad place. Yeah. I think also I had to sort of let go of the anger. I firstly just had to forgive her and just be like, well, not forgive her, but that sounds weird. It's not that. It's just yeah. like, just accept that, okay, she did come to that realization as much as she really liked me, really loved me. There was just something not there, which is fine. And I just, I suppose it's a hard thing pill to swallow, but eventually you realize that it's not all about you and yeah. like the other person has their reasons. Yeah. Like I'm in a good place right now with a fantastic, amazing person. And I suppose meeting her helped me in a way because it was like, oh, this is someone cool. This is someone I really like. This is someone that like I was happy to make my girlfriend because at the time I was like, no, nah, I'm not getting into another relationship. Definitely not getting into another long-term relationship, a long-distance relationship. Yeah. And she was someone that in my head, for some reason, felt like the right thing to do. I'm very glad that your journey of it wasn't the, you know, women are shit, love is shit, <laughs> not love, nothing. There is no joy in the world. I'm so glad that your journey has been, you know, I still look at the relationship and there are things I wish I would have said or wish things we could have talked about, but I'm in a happy place. I'm in, in a loving relationship with somebody who's maybe more 
like, you know, gets me more now as who I am. And that is just fucking incredible. Exactly. It's a better fit for me right now. And I'm happy where I am right now. And I'm happy with who I am with. And that's, I suppose, that's, I suppose that's love in a nutshell, you know? (laughs) There's an entire section that we never got through. (laughs) So maybe, yeah, maybe I'll have to have you again, but I suppose before we wrap up, and I think this is, uh, this is something, I suppose this is like time capsuling it for you. Kenny, 10 years in the future or five years in the future, what are your hopes and dreams? for that Kenny? For me, I just want to be doing something that I'm enjoying and like, like is making the difference. Yeah. I love the area of my career that I'm in at the moment and I'd love to stay in that area and I'd love to sort of move up and progress, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I'd also like to be in a place where I'm 35 and I'd like to be married. I'd like to be married with kids and I'd like to, I've had a relationship where we've had multiple experiences together yeah. where we've sort of traveled the world and seen different things and understood each other a lot better and are in a position where we can raise really full kids who will have a wide variety of experiences based on my culture and my sort of upbringing and based on her upbringing and her culture and sort of love to be in a place where I could tell my kids and show them the sort of improvements that have happened in the world and show them how this is where we started, but this is where we're at now. But yeah, I think someone said that cliches are are cliches for a reason. Mm -hmm. I just like to be in a space where I'm really happy and really feel like I've lived a full life and I don't feel cheated and I don't feel like I'm yearning for something. I feel like I'm in a good place. I'm making strides with my family and friends and I'm doing work that I really enjoy that I can say I'm proud of. And I can say that like, this is my experience. This is my twenties. I did so much stuff. I achieved so much, but yeah, there's still a lot to do. And like, I just hope I'm in a good place and I'm hope, I hope I'm with, I'm still with Emma. I hope like I, for me, like she's where I see my future. And so I hope like, yeah, we're in a, we're in a good place in 10 years. I wish so much for you. And I genuinely, genuinely hope on your baby's birth i will try and find this episode and just sneak it into your dms which will be flooding at the time um thank, thank you i i'm no firstly i just want to say thank you so much for having me on mm-hmm. um i listened to a couple of the season ones and i really love them i really like i could appreciate a good podcast and sort of the way like the, even just the production and how it's put together and how like sort of conversations And like I was saying to Emma that you're the kind of person to sort of give people a space to have a conversation and open up and perfect person for it. And so I'm like super happy that I've had the opportunity. And I hope like hopefully this becomes something so huge and so big. And hopefully I'll be 10 years down the line. I'll be saying, yeah, I was on that when it was the very (laughs) second season. Yeah. You were there at the start. Way back at the start. I've I've been here. (laughs) You helped me make this history. Uh, you know, I, I was part of. I mean, you know what the old people are like. I was part. I was there at that time. Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> no, I really, really. I'm. I'm going to be very curious listening to these episodes, like you know, a decade into the future. But to the Kenny in mm. front of me right now, absolutely love and appreciate the fact that we did this and we got to have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for bringing in your stories, your vulnerability, but more than anything else, just your amazing presence. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. We have another episode out next week on the Wednesday. 
And if you like what we do and the work that we're putting out, do consider joining our Patreon. Till then, this has been Love and Citizenship, and I will catch you in the next one.